And we are back on another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider with Tim McCormick. And Tim, so much fun. So much fun, not just spending time with you, but bringing the fans what you could tell, what you could sense they wanted to hear. And that's more Michigan basketball coverage from the perspective of a guy that's lived it, been up close and personal with uh, Michigan basketball, but not just Michigan basketball, basketball at the pro level as well. Now as an analyst covering things for uh, ESPN and, of course, uh, the Pistons broadcast on Fox Sports Detroit. So a basketball expert that I am privileged to sit down with on this podcast on a weekly basis talking about a Michigan team, Tim, that is off to a better start than many of us expected. Let's just start off with a welcome and how exciting it is to, to be doing this at, a, at the start of the Juwan Howard era. I'm ecstatic. I'm fired up to work with you as well, Sam. But uh, the start to the Michigan basketball season has so far exceeded all of my expectations. I'm proud of the way the team has played, the way they compete. I'm filled with optimism for the season. And that's even after watching the Louisville game last night. Um, so I am um, I, I'm looking forward to talking a little Michigan hoops with you. All right. So before we start talking specific games, you know, obviously they won the battle for Atlantis and, uh, you know, three, three outstanding performances, two of two outstanding uh, teams likely to be NCAA tournament teams. And then uh, Iowa State, who has one of the best players in the country, Tyrese Halliburton. Before we get into that, though, Tim, I was curious your your thoughts on something we hear, Jawan? We've heard Jawan say a lot here in the early going, and as he sets maybe the tone for his team and the theme for his program, he talks about the growth mindset. It really sounds like uh, you know something that that he lives by personally. He's trying to impart upon his players, and I, I'm wondering if it's something that has stuck out to you as well. Yeah, very perceptive, Sam. I, I, I love the idea of starting out our podcast talking about a book. Uh, nearly every single press conference that, that Juwan Howard has been involved in, including his opening press conference, you hear him mention the term growth mindset. Um, I haven't asked him about it yet, but I will, uh, because my favorite book is called Mindset. It's written by Carol Dweck, who is a Ph.D. from Stanford, and she discusses the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Uh, As an example, a growth mindset embraces challenges. They see hard work as a path to mastery. Uh, Talent needs to be constantly developed. The growth mindset is is open to to criticism as a key component of, of being able to improve. So. As a coach, what Juwan is doing is he makes no excuses and, and, and constantly has his guys look at hard work and, and getting better as the key to success. So after the game against Louisville, uh, he was asked about fatigue as a possible excuse. You and I both know that that was a scheduling loss. Yeah, you know, absolutely. To play three yep. games and then to have the euphoria and then to fly back in a quick turnaround. And, and Juwan's answer was, no, we, we don't make excuses. This loss is going to help us learn. Um, and, and, I, and I always use the example, and I, I use this with my kids a lot, that in school, a fixed mindset student, if they get a bad grade, they're going to 
blame the teacher. You know, the, the, the material wasn't covered. I'm sure you've heard that before. Uh, the test wasn't fair. I deserved a higher grade. The growth mindset person says, I need to work harder. I need to go talk to the teacher. I, I need to, you know, study the right things. And so I think his book, uh, the, the book he's referencing, is a great read for coaches and parents and ball players because it's a, it's a really wonderful way to approach things. You know, the only thing you can control is your work ethic and your dedication and just a get better type of mindset. And, and that's something I'm sure he's talking to the guys about all the time. Yeah, you know, he says it too often for it to just be, you know, for it to not be something more significant. Uh, that's why I was wondering if it stuck out to you. And clearly uh, it did. Uh, it'll be interesting to note when we talk to Juwan again, uh, you know, where from from where he's drawing that. And I, I and I I'm pretty sure you're right. I think you're I think you're spot on with where he's deriving that that philosophy from. All right. But yeah, you know, hey, real quick, Sam. And let 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 me give some homework to our, our podcast listeners. Mindset. Carol Dweck, check it out. It is really a, a game-changing book, and uh, may, maybe we can get you one, too. All right. Sounds like a plan, Tim. Uh, you know, you, as we talked about the battle for Atlantis, I remember vividly, and I'm not, I'm not bringing this up to, to kind of highlight what your expectations were. I, I think you were setting, uh, you know, setting maybe the baseline for, for the listeners to, to really understand the level of competition that Michigan was going to be facing in, in the battle for Atlantis. And then also to highlight, you know, you got to remember, we're in the early stages of a transition. We went over this in the last podcast. You know, talent and experience are, are essential factors in, in success. But you throw in, you know, a new system that they have to learn that you, where it kind of mitigates talent. It kind of mitigates experience while, while guys are thinking on the fly. You know, during that transition period, they might take an L or two. So you said, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose a couple of games in Battle for Atlantis, which is why, Tim, when they go down there and they win three straight, they beat Iowa State and Halliburton. They beat number six, North Carolina. They beat number eight, Gonzaga. And, you know, in a couple of those games, they're by 20-plus points. It, it really highlights just how impressive a feat that was for this team. I still have a huge smile on my face after watching the, the Michigan team play. Um, I, I, I spent six hours in the Bahamas with them, and, and there, there was so much to accomplish beyond a 7-0 start and hoisting a trophy. Uh, team bonding and, and chemistry building was huge. Uh, to get away from classes and the monotony of practice to, 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 to get in, in warm temperatures and make your body feel so much better in the ocean. And, and th those are positives, but there was also a new offense that needed to be unleashed. Th think about the fact that, that in the early games, I believe that Juwan held back a lot of his offense so that the battle for Atlantis opponents didn't have a, a, a full complement of scouting reports on everything Michigan does. Um, I think it was important to reinforce the trust. Guys, if you run the offense this way, it's going to work. And, and to see Michigan shoot the ball, lights out shooting, that was really impressive. So there was a lot to be gained. But I have to be honest with you, I did not see 
a championship coming. I, I, I thought that it's too early in the process. Remember, they went down there with no returning double-figure scorers on this team. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be the alpha dog? Who's going to be the guy when you need a bucket against a tough team to go out there and get it done? Um, and, and so I just I, I, I was surprised. I was fired up. And, and really, the Iowa State game, um, Michigan was pretty even with them. I, I, I thought Michigan played well despite 22 turnovers. <laughs> right. um, the North Carolina, I thought North Carolina was a very, very winnable game. I thought they were the weakest opponent that Michigan had there because of their youth. But Gonzaga, man, that opened up some eyes to me. That That's a good team, and Michigan dropped 82 and shot 54%. So, um, that, that's kind of an overview. We can break down each game if you want, but it was it was really impressive. Yeah, you know, I think in the first two games, the the Iowa State game and the North Carolina game, uh, you know, if if there was a you know a a main factor among many when it came to their success, to, to me in those couple of games, this is supporting cast. I mean, you you really saw Eli Brooks and Dave DeJulius. Uh, you know, for stretches, really carry this team, whether it was, you know, foul trouble, uh, it could be foul trouble for X or foul trouble for, for Teske, or you, you're in a you're in a drought, you need, you need a real scoring lift. And those guys were really able to, to provide it, Tim. I mean, you, you, we've talked about it already that Eli Brooks is a different guy that he, you know, he's, he's a more confident, basketball player and the confidence really showing itself with his willingness to to you know to, to take shots that are that he's capable of making and to not pass those those looks up and then Dave DeJulius we've talked about as well giving them I keep making the microwave reference and I think it's it's been fitting because you know in those couple of games and I want to say there, there were uh, there's a four game stretch in there from Elon to North Carolina where he was double digits in every game and coming right off the bench giving instant offense against Iowa State and against North Carolina. Those guys I thought were the the driving factors to the victory. Uh, and John Beeline deserves a lot of credit, doesn't he? Because he's mentored them, he's taught them the right way to play. They pass to the outside hand. They know a good shot from a bad shot. They, they, they're good role players. They, they do a good job on defense. But 35 points combined by Eli Brooks and Dave DeJulius against North Carolina was the reason they won that game. And that takes so much pressure off Livers and, and Xavier and Teske to have some guys out there that, you know, if you run the offense, the, the beneficiaries are going to be the support players. Yeah. Simpson's going to get his shot. You know, he's got the ball in his. He's going to get his, and Teske's a focal point. He's an all-Big Ten star. But when your offense is really clicking and you're making the right reads and you're moving the ball, those are the guys that are going to get open shots. Yeah, I mean, in the North Carolina game, you know, we talked about it. They had foul, some foul trouble in there. And another thing that really stuck out to me, that the trust that, that Jawan shows in guys that, that – have some some foul issues he'll leave you in the game with two fouls in the first half you know Xavier picked up his third foul less than a minute into the second half of that North Carolina game and he left him in there uh Tim and it was one of those deals where you know Michigan they go on a on a 19-0 run and it was it was Xavier Simpson being able to stay on the floor 
that that keyed that run. I mean, the the first part of it, the first half of it, was was all X either making the play himself or or you know a key pass, a key assist to really get him going. And that 19-0 run that he keyed uh, was really what blew the game over. Now he went on and and picked up a, a questionable foul, in my opinion, uh, based on the ref's call. But I thought Jawan showing the trust in Xavier Simpson to leave him on the floor with three fouls was a key in that game, and it tells us a lot about Jawan Howard as a coach and the kind of trust he puts in his guys on the floor. Well, I, I agree with you, and, and I um, you know at times I'm overwhelmed with the maturity and the toughness of Xavier, Xavier Simpson because every game out, he's got a tough matchup. Um, you know, think about the guards that he faced. Tyrese Halliburton, 25 points, nine boards, five assists. You've got Cole Anthony, who's a top five pick in the NBA draft, 22 points, seven rebounds, three assists. But but I, I think that Xavier makes life really tough for them. And the changing defenses are so important. The drop coverage in the pick and roll D. Um, I really am impressed with how Juwan is sprinkling in different defenses out of a timeout. Th- think about this. Roy Williams needs a bucket out of a timeout you know he's got a play dialed up, something that, that's his favorite play or a mismatch that he sees. And, and by going into a zone or uh, you know two two one full-court press, it takes them out of their offense. The first priority is figuring out, okay, where do we go? Where do we get our guys aligned? All of a sudden, the shot clock's down. I, I think that's a really good strategy. And, and, and that's, that, that, was, that was a big key in that 19-0 run was that Cole Anthony didn't do a lot during that stretch. And, and a lot of that goes to Xavier. And so, you know, if, if the first two games in a battle for Atlantis, uh, Tim, what was about the, the supporting cast stepping in to, to fill in for some of the gaps, whether it's foul trouble or, or what have you, struggle, what have you, with, with your vets in, in the first couple of games in spurts, the, the championship game, the Gonzaga game was about those those vets rising back to the floor and really leading the way. I mean, you had a great game from Isaiah, a great shooting game from Isaiah Livers uh, to to lead all scores with 21 points. The terrific stat line from Xavier Simpson. I mean, they kept calling him the maestro last night in the in the Louisville game uh, because of the, you know leading the nation and assists had 13 assists in that game. Got it, got downhill at will against Gonzaga, but my pick for the player of the game, Tim, and you'll appreciate this as a big fella. I thought John Teske was dominant at times versus Gonzaga, and on both ends of the floor, you look at what he did to Petrachev, what he did to to Drew Timmy. I mean, those guys in that game, Tim, a combined eight for twenty-five, uh, you know, from the field. And and Petrachev was was four for sixteen. He had three of his shots blocked in the first half by by John Teske to go along with nineteen point nineteen points and fifteen boards. I mean, the big fella was just he was just super dialed in in that game. Yeah, I, and those are really good players. Those are those are NBA prospects. And Teske with nineteen and fifteen boards, he he was an air traffic controller. Yeah, imagine. Imagine an air traffic controller sitting out there making sure the airspace is clear, you know, where, where people go. He was talking on defense, but he protects the rim so much. And, and the fact that Michigan 
scored 36 points beyond the arc. They won the rebounding game, low turnovers. Each of those has a big impact from Teske. How? Well, the, the three-point shooting, if you establish the post game, you spread the court, a well-run offense starts with post play, and Teske was very good in the lane. They won the rebounding battle. That's obvious. And low turnovers, when you've got the ability to go inside and out, they swung the ball side to side. Teske's an excellent passer. He shot the ball from the perimeter, spreading the court. There were so many things to like in that game. Yeah, man. I, I'm I, One of the other things, another really big thing that stuck out to me, you know, Gonzaga kept making runs, Tim. They they kept making runs. I mean, they chopped it to three. You know, Michigan, after they were down early, there was a 10-0 run to put them up. Uh, and, and Gonzaga chopped it back to three, and Franz Wagner answered with, uh, you know, with the dribble drive. They, uh, Michigan goes back up. Uh, you know, a by by five or six. I can't remember exactly what, but Gonzaga cut it back to three, and I remember it was a pick and pop jumper from from John Teske. Then Gonzaga cuts it back down to three uh, when when Tilly hit a hit a triple, and Dave DeJulius comes right back down on the other end of the floor to hit a huge three. And so, it, you know, to me, what that sequence illustrated. It is and it probably was one of the things that confounded Mark Few. They had so many guys that were that were providing answers in that game. Uh, you know, a very unselfish team. I can't help but remember the extra pass three to Eli Brooks. This was a team that had every guy really uh, that was uh, getting on the floor. Every guy contributing and taking and making big shots. It really, I think, another illustration of Michigan's depth in the championship game. Enjoyable to watch, wasn't it? You know, a fun passing game. Um, there, there are a lot of similarities in Juwan Howard's offense to John Beeline's. Um, and, and part of that is that John Beeline was so good that a lot of his offensive concepts were eventually adopted into the NBA. You know, the spacing, the emphasis on three-point shooting, the low turnovers, um, passing cut offense. Um, there, there were some things that, that Juwan Howard did with his offense that I like. Um, in the NBA, they run a lot of pistol formations. Um, there's a set double drag high post. There, there, there were a lot of little wrinkles, and the players will get better and better. They're going to gain confidence, and, and, but they also have to keep that trust going because for a lot of teams, that Louisville game last night can be really unsettling make you question the coach, make you question the offense, make you question your teammates. So it's going to be really fun to see how they respond. Yeah, I remember talking to you before the game, uh, before the Louisville game, Tim, and and you mentioned, hey, you know, this between the schedule, uh, you know, you got the three games down in the Bahamas, the, the, the flight home, the quick turnaround, then you got to get right back, a short prep, get right back down to Louisville in their place, the number one team in the country, all of the circumstances that were present that would make that a difficult game to win. Uh, and then you add to it a team that has length, athleticism, super aggressive defensively. It could really expose some of the issues. And I remember you using the word expose. It could really expose some of the issues, some of the limitations that Michigan has offensively. And I do think that some of that played out. But you know, I, before we get to that, because I really want you to give a lesson in pack line defense and some of the ways in which you can uh, you can attack it. 
I do want to get into that. But before we do, I know you had a chance uh, to sit down and go one-on-one with Isaiah Livers, uh, who, again, we talk about shooters, uh, without question, uh, one of the top shooters in the Big Ten. Uh, you, you saw him be on fire in that, you know, in that Gonzaga game, uh, for instance. You know he has it in, in him to, to hit big buckets and is trying to diversify his game by uh, being more comfortable off the bounce uh, and being a real leader for this team. Uh, and you got a chance to, to get from him everything that he's put into, everything he's improved upon heading into this season uh, in your chat with him one-on-one. I love Isaiah Livers. I, I love the, the fact that he's a worker, um, that, that he got himself in better shape. He lost weight. And, and he epitomizes that growth mindset that we talked about earlier. When, um, when I watch him play, I remember when I went to the five-star basketball camp when I was a young boy, uh, they, they talked about the best shooters. They shoot like they're standing in a phone booth. Um, and, and some of our, our, our younger listeners may not even know what a phone booth is, but, but everybody else will, that it's a very, very you know, contained area, and it's straight up and down. Isaiah Livers, when he shoots his jump shot, shot, goes straight up and he lands in his foot. And it's such a huge advantage for consistency. And I, I'm, I'm really anxious for people to hear what a good guy Isaiah Livers is. All right. Here is Tim McCormick one-on-one with Isaiah Livers. All right. Our Michigan Basketball Insiders podcast is really excited to have Isaiah Livers, who is off to a fantastic start in his career one of the Big Ten's most versatile performers. You can cover two through five, in my opinion. And, and I think you've got a real good chance to be the Big Ten's most improved player this year. So thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. So we first met in Grand Rapids. I'm not mm-hmm. sure you remember. It was at the Michigan Elite 25 yep. program. Yes, sir. And, and I've been so impressed with all you do. What, what do you think is the number one strength of your game? Uh, it's probably my my mind, my IQ about the game of basketball. Uh, I'm a real learner, and I love to just observe basketball. It could be girls basketball, little kids playing basketball. I just like watching the game of basketball. I just enjoy playing it. What do you um? Do you see yourself as a coach someday? Actually, it's funny. I don't. I really don't see myself as a coach. But I heard a lot of people say that, and they end up being coaches anyways and being really good ones. I am. Um, I heard a great story about you started playing at age five in the backyard with your dad. Take yeah. us back there. What was that like for you? What memories do you have? Shit, it was tough. My uh, my dad was very tough on me when it came to basketball because it was his favorite sport, and uh, just I wasn't the best at it. I couldn't make layups. I couldn't shoot the ball. I couldn't dribble. wasn't as good as my brother, and I just kept working, 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 working. And one day, I got to play my brother one on one, and I I finally beat him. And that's when my dad was like, "Oh, this dude's like." Four years younger than me, beat him in a game of basketball in the backyard. It's just it meant so much to me for my dad just to acknowledge that I was good at basketball. How old were you at that point? It got to at that point I was age eight when did, I beat my brother. Did you ever beat your dad? Never could beat my dad. No, <laughs> he had this jump shot that I could never reach because obviously he was taller than me. He could just do whatever he wanted. Was, and, and once you got to uh, ten, twelve years old, you probably said, "I'm not playing Isaiah oh, yeah, anymore." No, yeah, I, I had him running around the street. No. I um I want to ask you about John Beeline's departure. First of all, you know what was it like to play for him? What what did he teach you? What are the the strengths you now have because of him? Oh man, Coach Beeline, like I said, I just the IQ of the game of basketball. 
he is the guru of just when it comes to fundamentals and just the thought process, mental process of basketball. And I think that's what I took away. I don't know about other players. I took away from him was just thinking and watching a lot of film about basketball. Like you can't just go out there and just play. You still got to know the reads. You got to be just a head, like a head on. He used to say a heady, ba heady basketball player where you just see the next play. Like that's what I admire most about Coach Beeline was he was really into the mental process and part of the game. Do you have a favorite memory, um, a funny story, or what? what is your favorite John Beeline story? Uh, I think it was actually it was when Jordan, Jordan made that shot, and we were in the locker room, and I just, just remember this by memory. I watched, there's like doorways, and I watched, there's like two of them. I see Coach Beeline, he had goggles and his poncho <laughs> on, I'm just like... Well, this is really about to happen. Like this, Coach Beeline is really about to come in here and try to get us. So I had to, we all got together, and then I just remember him busting in through the door, just cheering, excited, and that's just what I love to see when Coach Beeline was just cheering. He was just, a, he was just a happy person, and you just don't forget things. You don't forget smiles, and just think the little things that Coach Beeline did is just it stuck well with all of us, and we appreciate him. When you you think about John Beeline, did you have any idea? that that he was possibly going to leave and what was it like when you heard what what was that scenario definitely when you when you think think of the name john beeline just all he's done at michigan and just all the support he has i just i always knew it was a possibility he's a very smart coach and the top leagues have the smart coaches have all the smart mental guys that i was talking about earlier and when he left i there was no anger there was no sickness or just upset with him I was happy for him honestly because you know he deserves that uh, he started at like a high school and went to a low low like I think it was like d3 or whatever he was he was coaching and he just worked his way up and of course you were you start from the bottom you always want to get to the top and I'm just I'm just very happy for Coach Beeline when I heard the news it's great you uh you mentioned Jordan Poole big shot in the NCAA tournament that's yeah. your boy right that's, that's your my, roommate that's my guy man you changed your number to to take his mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about your relationship how's he doing what's the update um you know tell us about about Jordan Poole Jordan he's he's doing very well he had a great summer uh he worked out got his body got stronger uh he worked on his handles his defense shot he worked on everything just to be that two-way player that the Warriors want him to be they, they told him to really focus on defense and talked to him what, a day or two ago they just got done playing the Lakers last night so and he had a pretty good game um but he always knows he can he's always that guy he just always knows he can do better like the sky's the limit for Jordan literally when you think of Jordan the sky's the limit because he can surprise you let's talk about Juwan Howard mm -hmm. um how is he different than John Beeline coach Howard is different from coming from coach Beeline because it's I I, I really people ask me this question so much and I feel like I changed my answer but Personally, honestly, it's because Coach Howard played the game of basketball, and Coach Beeline was just a offensive, not an offensive, just an analytical coach. Like he knew the reads and stuff to be a good basketball player and be a good coach. Just it was just Coach Howard has the experience on the floor. That, that was really the only difference I could think of. Mm -hmm. What uh, What are some of the goals that that you have for this this year, and also for the team? Well, obviously, we want to win all the championships we can, but looking aside championships, I want to make memories and create a brotherhood. And just with this new staff is a perfect opportunity to get to know some really good people that some others that outside of the team don't really get 
don't know about because we try to keep it in as a team as much as possible. But I want to create memories and win, obviously. So to, to, to get your next best memory, which memory are you going to have to beat? What, what's your best memory at Michigan so far? Best memory at Michigan so far is definitely that Final Four. When we got to the Final Four, that was a huge memory. And then championship, you know, honestly, I was going through my, my social media and I, I remember someone sent me this video of us actually beating Villanova for a split second. And it was just like, dang, like, we really let that game go. Um, we were so focused, too. We were so ready to play those guys. They just kind of switched up what they were doing all season, all through the tournament, and just they had this guy on the bench, man. He just... Just Dante. Shots. Dante, he was putting them shots up, man. You, you were in Milwaukee earlier, so yeah. You probably talked to him, but he, he was legit. He was serious. Yeah, I am. I, I believe Isaiah, you're going to play in the NBA someday. I, I really believe Thank you. that. I appreciate that. Do you have a favorite player that you that you like to watch that you say I I, I want to play like him? I actually want to play like Kawhi. I want to be that two way, uh, obviously efficient offensive player on the offensive end, and I want to be this defensive shutdown machine like you go out you guard lebron you go out you guard paul george you go you go out you guard the tall skilled wings like that that's what i want to do so you watch his games and mm -hmm. and try to pick up pointers what what does isaiah livers need to do what as the next step to become like Kawhi? Kawhi, it's just really the mindset it's the mindset and confidence of being who i am you know i don't really like to model my game after but someone's but Kawhi leonard is a perfect example of who i want to live up and even try to surpass when I'm done with the game of basketball. Yeah, you've got that winner's mentality, too. As a matter of fact, I, I think back to last year, Iggy yes. had a breakout year. Yes, sir. But people don't remember that, that you were you were the starter early in the year yeah. and you got injured, yeah. and that gave him his chance. I love the fact that you accepted your role and oh, you were yeah. a great teammate. You know, what? What? Um, what? what's important as a leader, uh, as an upperclassman, that you're trying to teach the young guys here? The number one thing is like what you just talked about is how Iggy took my spot. Um, unfortunate circumstances, obviously, and some guys can take it as like, man, I don't want to play for this team anymore. I don't, don't want to play for him. I want to play for him. I took it as let me be that guy off the bench. Let me sacrifice being that guy off the bench. And me and Coach Beeline had a meeting about it. He was like, you just have to, I want you to be my sixth man. I want you to come off bringing that defense, that energy, that offense, that just that pit bull attitude coming off the bench. And I was like, okay, coach, yeah, I got you. Like, when you put it that way, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you gave, you gave my room. I'm going to be a sixth man. So I was just excited. But number one thing is probably sacrifice for sure. All right, good. Let's find out more about you. What are what? Tell me your number one hobby. Number one hobby is watching cartoons. I, I'm obsessed with cartoons. I even have tattoos of cartoons on me. Like, like who's your favorite? Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Do you um, – like I grew up with Bugs Bunny. Oh yeah, and Daffy. Do you like the old Looney, Looney Tunes? Tunes? Yeah, they got them on Hulu. I've been watching them. <laughs> how did you? How did you get into those? My dad. Saturday mornings, some Sunday mornings, and give me a bowl of cereal and turn on. You got Tom and Jerry. You got Bugs Bunny. Daffy, not Daffy. Yeah, Daffy Doug. Just that, all the all those guys. So you you must love Space Jam. Space Jam. Oh man, I, they're making another, they're making another movie. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe someday you can be in a Space Jam that, movie. That would be one of my goals too. The cartoons. Uh, what is your favorite thing about being in Ann Arbor? Favorite thing about being in Ann Arbor? Probably being close to home. I'm only an hour and a half away from my people, so it's always good to have the access to drive home to see my family, uh, and they can obviously come to games whenever they want to. Do you have a favorite restaurant? I actually don't, Ann Arbor. That's crazy. Uh, I do. 
It's Angelo's. It's his breakfast spot. I just thought about it. Angelo's. Mm-hmm. I, this podcast is reaching hundreds of thousands. Well, maybe not quite that many, but you yeah. should at least get a free breakfast out of it. Yeah. That might be an NCAA violation. Definitely see, violation. Just keep, just keep just keep paying for I'll your keep, breakfast. I'm paying. I'm paying for my food. Yeah. What do you What do you think as as an athlete about um, you know the changes where college athletes can get reimbursed for their likeness and so on? Do you think that's a good idea? I on, honestly, I thought about it the other day with actually a classmate. We tried to put it together of how that'd be possible because you go off name and then there's going to be hatred between the top player on a team and a low player on a team. But if you pay everybody equal, that means you're going to have to pay every sports team the same amount of money. And not a lot of schools are, they can't afford that. And then once it comes to recruiting now, you're, you're thinking about schools with all the money are going to get better recruits if, unfortunately, a uh, uh, student athlete who's being recruited by this college is they don't they're not money stable financially stable and they might just go to that school just because of the money and now it's messing with the recruiting stuff. But I mean, if that's the, the way the NCAA wants to go, that's the way they can go. But it sucks because you know you really as for me, I really can't can't think of a solution for it to happen. Uh, it's going to be very tough for the NCAA to make that decision, but if they do, I'll be happy. Yeah, good answer. You sound like a lawyer. Hey, man, it's all about just balancing logistics. Yeah, a couple of other things. You uh, you really transformed your body. Mm-hmm. I'm sure John Sanderson was a big help. Oh, yeah. What, what is the difference between this year and last year? I'm a lot quicker, uh, a lot more bouncy. I'm lighter on my feet. Um, I just – my stamina is a lot better, honestly. I can like last night. I, I mean, two nights ago, I played 38 minutes. I've never played 38 minutes in my life, and I felt like I still could play another half. So that was the very plus side of shape, shape my body up. Yeah. What did you do? Uh, before I went home in the spring, literally two days after we lost to Texas Tech, uh, I met with Sanderson and uh, Tiffany Hilton, our old dietitian. She's over at Texas A&M Football, so that's really good for her. Uh, but we created this schedule uh, Sunday. Sunday through Monday, and it was just, it consisted of, like, portion, like, eight-ounce chicken, like, one cup, half cup of corn, rice, stuff like that, and I followed it, I followed it, because, I mean, when you, when you get the chance to work with Sanderson and Tiffany, they made this perfect plan for me, why would I go off course or eat over or under eat, I'm not gonna lie, for two weeks, it felt like I was starving, because I was, I felt like I was under eating, but it was just my stomach adjusting, and I understood all that. So when you understand all that kind of stuff, it's going to work. You just got to you just got to be willing to buy in. Yeah. Final question: What do you what do you see for yourself long term um, after basketball? What would you like to do? Um, I'm a, I'm majoring in sociology right now, so it'd be cool to sit down with uh, like all the stuff problems that's going on in NBA right now, like with Kevin Love, for example, about the mental mental pro, mental aspect of the game of basketball. You know, all that kind of stuff psychology sociology it's just that stuff is really important and i feel like guys overlook that kind of stuff i think there's a big need for that and i I can see you doing that so isaiah i i'm just thrilled that you joined us really good insight and and all the michigan fans say thanks for your great work go go get back to that national championship game and and win one all right sure got you guys go blue all right go blue and we are back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider with Tim McCormick and Tim. Uh, you know, another another great chat this time with uh, Isaiah Livers. 
who I, you know, I, I get it. You know, it's a, a young man that I've known and been covering since high school, so I have an appreciation for his personality. Uh, you can really see on the floor what what a what a team guy he is. You know, it, it's so not about him. He's almost one of those guys that you have to you have to coach into being a little more selfish out there because that's what Michigan is going to need from him at times this year to to hunt his shot more. I have immense respect for Isaiah Livers as a person. The on-the-court production is obvious, but he's somebody that you just like to hang out with. He's got a, a really pleasing personality, great teammate. He's funny. He's got a great smile and a massive, massive future. I, I, I see him as an NBA player, Sam. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of NBA scouts do uh, also. Uh, you know, it was it was indeed the case, Tim, as you look at the matchup with, with Louisville, uh, whether it's Isaiah Livers, uh, Eli Brooks, Dave DeJulius, uh, you know, Franz Wagner, uh, it was in a very off shooting night. Now, Louisville had a lot to do with that. I don't want to make it sound like it's all, you know, it's all fatigue. But, I, you know, when you see a team uh, struggle as mightily from, uh, you know, from distance as Michigan did last night, I just think tired legs is, you know, a part of that. Part of that, you know, great defense. You're you're holding the team to 20, 25 percent from from three point range. You shoot 15 percent from three point range, and I, <laughs> and I, you know, I think some of that is you, and and maybe some other factors. And in this case, I think it was just all the travel, uh, and the grind of the you know the three straight games in three days last week. Well, you know, and I went on the show with our friend Huge. Um, on, on game day and and he asked me my thoughts I said you know Louisville wins this one maybe easily and the reason I thought that three games three days the emotional peak the travel you've got to relax a little bit you exhale and, and say you know we're champions everybody loves what you did and it's just human nature to relax um, and also Louisville is sensational on the defensive end that's what Chris Mack does uh, you're playing the number one team in the country in a featured game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And that was really their first tough game of the season. And maybe the most significant thing, I mentioned earlier that I think Juwan held some of his offense out. They had plenty. I'm, I'm talking about a full playbook on how to cover Michigan based on the Atlantis. And, and their scouting report was spot on. You want to try to take Xavier Simpson out of the pick and roll game. You identify their shooters and you don't leave them. And they run that pack line defense, which is really challenging, especially for a young team with new roles. Yeah, so it's, I'm glad you brought that up, Tim, because, uh, you know, as we're, we'll get to the mailbag uh, a little bit later here in the podcast. But, uh, you know, so many of the questions are about pack line defense, attacking it, why it, why it gives Michigan, why it's giving Michigan uh, so much trouble. We have uh, Roger Solomon on, twi- on Twitter, our solo 901. He asked the question about pack line defense. Also uh, from the MichiganInsider.com, PDT37, uh, you know, a direct question. How should you attack a pack line defense? Texas Tech and Louisville have great length and defend really well. Is there something Michigan could definitely do outside of, you know, beating them down the floor in transition? Uh, to, you know, to combat, uh, you know, facing pack line. So first, let's start with this, Tim. Explain pack line defense. 
Well, first of all, it's it's a concept that was developed by Dick Bennett. That's Tony Bennett's father. He was at Washington State. He was at Wisconsin. And the pack line defense is, is focused on containing the ball, very good contesting. But the key thing they do is they close the lane. So if your man has the ball, extreme ball pressure, as soon as he gets rid of it, you jump back into the paint in help position. And, and it, it's, a, it's a very, very compact defense that, that closes out quickly to shooters. And you, you see Sean Miller at Arizona, Tony Bennett at Virginia, Greg Gard at Wisconsin, and, and Chris Mack is among the best. When he was at Xavier, he was known as an elite defensive coach. Now, the key thing to make it work, you, you have to have discipline but you've got to have really good defensive players. And what you saw yesterday from Louisville, there's a reason why they're one of the best teams in the country, one of the best teams in the ACC, because they defend and that acts as fuel for their transition game. So specifically against Michigan, they eliminated Xavier Simpson in the screening game. He had no assists in the first half. They hard hedged him. They didn't allow ball reversals. And, and, and I also thought that the, the lights might have been a bit too bright for, for some of the support players for Michigan. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about Teske. I don't, I don't worry about Xavier Simpson. But Isaiah Livers, Eli Brooks, David DeJulius, one for 18 from the field. That, that, that's not going to work against anybody. So a lot of it was defense. But I think that Michigan could have played more aggressively and more confident on the offensive end. Yeah, to your point, I, I noticed uh, I, I noticed Eli Brooks, uh, you know, pass up uh, a a three off a shot fake in transition. That's a shot that he's taken and been making this season. So you know that that's to your point, uh, you know, about the magnitude of this game. Maybe this is the first example of uh, of that being at play. Uh, and yet, you know, I based on what we've seen this year, I, I think it's an anomaly. I think that the 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 amount of confidence that Juwan infuses in his guys uh, will will make that not be an issue. I mean, he I'm sure he'll be in practice saying you got to take that shot. And and frankly, Tim, uh, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier. The 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 open looks are few and far between, but the open looks, the the wide open looks they got. Just didn't fall. So I think there might have been. I do. I really do think. Not to take any credit away from from Louisville. I do think that that tire legs could have been an issue. But that does that was not an issue against Texas Tech, for instance. So ways to attack pack line, ways to deal with uh, extreme ball pressure. You use the word before the game. This could expose some things. And one mm-hmm. of the things I think it exposed Tim is you know Michigan just isn't. You know, they're, they're not a roster replete with guys that can put it on the deck and create. Uh, you know, most mm-hmm. guys on this uh, on the floor for Michigan, if it's, if it's not X, who they did a good job of keeping off his right hand in the first half, or Dave DeJulius, who is in his first, you know, this is his first few games as a, you know, as a marquee guy for, for Michigan. If it's not those guys attacking off the bounce, Michigan is going to have trouble. So how do you attack pack line? Well, really, really good comments. And I, I actually looked into my crystal ball and said, what, what is Sam going to ask today? <laughs> and I, I, thought that he, I thought that you would ask me about how to attack pack line defense. So I wrote down 
three things that I think are essential if you want to want to be able to beat a defense like this. Number one, you've got to move the ball side to side. Move the defense. Ball reversals. Get it You know, on the third side, which means you pass it, and then you go to the other side, and then you come back. That's the way you get a, a defense a little bit softer. The second thing is that I didn't think Michigan made hard cuts, mm-hmm. and it wasn't an effort thing. Sometimes when you're going against somebody, you know that they're on their defensive game. You lose some confidence. You lose your focus. Instead of making razor cuts, I thought Michigan was making banana cuts, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of looping into where they need to go. They were not cutting with decisiveness. And then the the last one, and you, you nailed it. If you look at Michigan's roster, what are they lacking? They're lacking one-on-one creative drivers that can just get by their guy and, and make a bucket. And that's what Jordan Oro is doing. Like, like he made right. a lot of buckets. He he yep. got where he wanted to go and he knocked down layups. That's huge for an offense. Yeah, you're you're 100 correct. If there is the you know the biggest difference between because man, look, let's one thing we haven't uh, I think maybe highlighted enough. Michigan's defense was really good too uh, against no Louisville. You know they they Louisville did not shoot great in this game, but Jordan Wara, as you as you said, push comes to shove, he can go get you a bucket. And so I, I feel like for, for Michigan, I, I just felt like in this game uh, that there weren't enough post touches. Uh, and, and for a team that when their shots aren't falling, uh, they're going to have problems generating offense, I think the, the toughest thing for, for opponents to take away is going to be John Teske if you can get the ball to him. And I just think I looked early in the game. He was two for three on post touches. Colin Castleton got a post touch, and he he passed out of a double team to to Brandon Johns on on a basket cut, and he fumbled the ball. But the point was, it resulted in a high percentage look. And I just think, especially in games like that, where you know you're struggling on the perimeter, they're taking things away, working it into the post, and working your offense through the post is one of the things they're going to have to do a better job of. So at the, I believe it was the 1230 mark, Michigan had two buckets and they were both John Teske post moves and Teske is gaining confidence. You know, in the past, he's been the high screen and roll guy. He's been a ball mover. He knocks down an occasional shot. But in this contest, I agree with you that it would have been a wise move to force feed the ball into Teske, not even necessarily as your go-to score, but as a facilitator, mm-hmm. a guy that's trusted he's been in big games and 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 i do think that as the season goes on you're going to see him more featured right now michigan starts the game with a post touch almost every game to john teske and he's been very very productive doing that but i also think they go away from him and if he knocks down that first shot i know jawan's got an nba mindset where in the in the league if a guy gets a bucket you go right back to him and if he gets a, a second bucket, you just keep going until they stop him. And I think that that's something that Michigan can do in those tough games, especially when you're on the road, especially in a hostile environment. Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot, so much is on on the big fella's shoulders uh, when you talk about this offense. Whether we're talking about him setting up in the post, or we're talking about him him being a a screener and in Michigan's two-man game. And so getting back to the pack line real quick, I can remember when when Mo Wagner was here and Michigan ran into, you know, issues where, where teams were, 
we're we're hard hedging. We're really jumping. We're really jumping. Whether it's Isaiah, whoever it was, coming off a ball screen, that he was able to use Mo Wagner as like a chess piece. I mean, whether he could he he would slip screens. That would be one way in which they would really combat it. You could you could set your screen high. He would set the screen higher sometimes and do a short roll. And Mo was versatile enough to be a guy who could get to the basket in a few dribbles or hit a mid-range jumper. And so it's really testing the versatility of Teske as a screener. And maybe he'll be able to do some of those things. I want your opinion on that, Tim. Uh, one thing I know they could do, Carolina talked about this after their game. They said, man, you know, Michigan, they'll run you off a screen. And if it doesn't work, they'll rescreen and do it again. And if that doesn't work, they'll rescreen. And do it again. And I think sometimes being belligerent uh, with the ball screen to test the quality. Sometimes when you when you do that, Tim, and I'm sure you've experienced this, the quality of of the second hedge or the third hedge isn't as good as the first one. And you can you can beat a defense that way. So there are many, many things they can do. The question is, which one of those things do you think or which few of those things do you think would be most effective? Man, Sam, you're talking deep NBA scouting reports here. That, that's some good stuff. In the league, what teams do is they set a screen, and then they're going to reset it the opposite direction. Why? Because an NBA player and a college player will focus hard on that first screen. The second one, you're going to get soft defense. And if you can get a third screen, you're going to get whatever shot you want. But the Michigan players are still in that learning phase and and i think that that's that's going to be something as we look deeper into the season especially when you get into big big 10 play especially when you get into february and march scouting reports are going to be incredibly deep and you know who does it better than anybody else in the big 10 is cassius winston they run him off multiple (laughs) screens a lot of times with the same guy and defensively it breaks your heart you're thinking i did a great job i fought over the screen I was in great position, and bam, I get hit again from the same guy from the opposite direction. I, I think Xavier Simpson's going to really thrive. And, and Sam, is this, is this crazy to think? As I watched in that Gonzaga game, I thought to myself, Xavier Simpson could play in the NBA someday. And, and I had never had that thought before. Um, I started thinking about the system he's playing in, which features him and his ball handling skills. He can get wherever he wants off the dribble. And then in the NBA game today, with the spacing, four guys on the perimeter, how would somebody keep Xavier Simpson out of the lane? How would they keep him from getting to that right hand? And and it's still really early. He's not tall enough. His shot is not, you know, it, it's not pure. But it's something we can watch and keep an eye on. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And another thing, I I wonder, Tim. I mean, you you're around. You you kind of have an idea of of where they can go offensively. I almost wonder, might we see more screen action, more more one four screen action, more screen action with with Isaiah, who can, as we you know, I was talking about the versatility of your screener. Uh, you know, could could we see them do some uh, with some guys other than the five men, other than other than uh, John Teske or Colin Castleton, that might make it a little more difficult to to contend with uh, that that screener. Obviously, he can he can hit a mid range jumper. He could 
you know, it, with leverage on a defense, he could, with a couple of dribbles, uh, get to the basket. I, I, I wonder if that might be an option that might be in the arsenal for, for Michigan. I'm not, I'm not as versed in in uh, Jawan's offense as I was in, in John Beeline's after, you know, years and years of watching. So I'm curious if you think that's something that we could see down the line. Yeah, pretty good idea, Sam. And I think that pick and roll basketball is the single greatest play in any team's playbook. Why? Because you have immediate opportunities for success for not only the screener, but the ball handler. You can create mismatches and switches. And when that happens, help defense has to come, which opens up your three-point game. As an example, Michigan plays against Iowa on Friday. Ryan Creamer cannot cover Isaiah Livers. I, I don't think he can cover him in a pick-and-roll situation. Mm-hmm. So I love a 1-4 pick-and-roll, which could, could really create a lot of open shots for Isaiah Livers. Yeah, and that gives us an opportunity to, to look ahead. And we, we will have a, a, a full Big Ten preview. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll spend a lot of time on that in, in the next podcast, focus heavily on on the Big Ten as a whole. But Iowa specifically, the first thing I see, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, Tim, first thing I see when I look at Iowa is no Tyler Cook. And I'm like, yes. Thank you. Know, you. Thank you. You. <laughs> don't to, you don't have to deal with that guy oh, in, in, right, anymore. But they still have they still have talent. They still have versatility. And Luca Garza uh, is a very versatile big man, but what I like to say when you see a guy like that, let's see, let's see him play some defense. Let's see, can you know how he deals with with John Teske banging him in the post. Let's see him uh, defend a uh, defend a ball screen, make him play some defense to see if he can still put up those offensive numbers. But the point of bringing him up is this is a very talented team Iowa brings to the table offensively their limitation in past years has been them on the defensive end of the floor what do you see when you look at Iowa this year it's still the same thing a scoring team defense not as much of an emphasis Um, I love Garza he was really good against Syracuse last night he's a big guy highly efficient Um, and and they're they're typically a a guard driven team Uh, they're off to a good start they beat Syracuse convincingly they uh, knocked off Texas Tech in Las Vegas. And, and, and one of the things that kind of caught me off guard, as I, as I saw them earlier this year, Jordan Bohannon had that hip injury, and he's such an important player for them, and it looked like he was going to be out. He played last night, and, and when you combine he and Joe Wieskamp, there, there's some pretty good guards there. Um, I am thrilled that Tyler Cook is with Canton of the G League um, because he was a pro throughout his Iowa career. That guy was a, a physical specimen and was always a tough cover. But I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm so excited to watch the Iowa game on Friday. And, and here's why um, when, when I sent out a tweet last night, I said that the, the Louisville game would be termed a good loss. Um, number one team on their court, you, you really had some, some good things to walk away with that you need to do better. It was a wake-up call, and Juwan has their complete attention right now. But here's why it's important. If Michigan played really close in that game, maybe you know lost by a couple of plays down the stretch, they, they would think we're good. We're one of the best teams in the country, and that's not where they should be. They've got a long way to go, and the number four ranking is probably too much way too soon for this team. The, the, the concern that I had is you can't afford – 
to go in and lose against Iowa in your building. And that could definitely have happened if, in fact, they lost their concentration. And that is so critical because then you've got to turn around and you've got to play at Illinois on the road in the Big Ten against a talented team. Is is the possibility exists that you could be 0-2 to start the Big Ten. So I look at Louisville as a very good learning opportunity um, to get refocused on where they need to be, and that's chasing a Big Ten championship. All right, Tim, uh, great stuff, great breakdown. Uh, before we get out of here, I, I want to get at least a couple of mailbag questions in. Uh, so the first one that we'll get to uh, is actually, I mean, this is two different, two different folks asking roughly the same question. And so I'll, I'll read them both to you. They're both about Franz Wagner. The first comes from, uh, you know, comes from Twitter. And it comes from uh, Stephen Grant on Twitter. Steve, uh, GR3221136. So a lot, long name there, but. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. A lot. He <laughs> says, uh, Franz is playing okay defensively, but even then he got beat by Norris uh, numerous times for easy layups. Seems really unsure uh, offensively and a little soft. Other than time, how, is, how does he get going? We desperately need him to be a threat against elite athletic teams. And then piggybacking off of that question, going over to the MichiganInsider.com, Waldo78 says, is France getting too much leash right now? Love his potential, but I would hate to see him lose his confidence this early in the season. So your take on Franz Wagner at this point. I love Franz, and, and you and I were both at the top 100 camp and saw him play. We know his immense potential. He's grown a great deal, and I think that as someone that knows about growing, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, one of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think back to um, when when I was in high school, I really struggled with my lateral movement and my ability to defend for, for quite a while. And the reason is, is that that I shot up from six, five to six, nine. And all of a sudden I was dealing with a brand new body. You know, it, it was it was it was a little bit longer than I was used to, a little ganglier. My feet were a little bit bigger and it takes time to learn to play defense with that length. Um, I think that that what we should focus on is his offensive arsenal. He, he's not going to be a great defender. Part of that is also the European mindset. You know, go back to Tony Kukoc, kind of similar bodies. Tony was never a defender. I don't think the European players embrace defense like like Americans do. Um, another thing that's really important with Franz, imagine taking your right hand and putting it in a cast for, for, for five weeks. There's atrophy. There's lack of, of movement. There's lack of confidence in it. And so... He, he knows how to shoot. He, he's a great shooter. And, and right now he's lost his confidence in it, and he's relying on drives. The more he plays, he's going to get better and better. And there's a reason that, that he's in the lineup is because Juwan has seen him play 35, 40 practices, and he knows what he brings to this team. Michigan is better with him on the court, and they're willing to, to, to maybe look at a few defensive lapses a couple of plays that normally he would make that he's not now, they know that the long-term potential of this kid is immense. Yeah, I, well, and I guess my, my question back to, to uh, I think it was Waddle 78, is who, who are you taking him out for? <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, you live with the growing pains because 
you I feel like his you know the mistakes or the errors right now are functional. He gets better based on on experience. But I also think that we need to have the proper the proper bar. You can't set the bar for Franz Wagner uh, to be, hey, he's going to go out and lock down Jordan Wara. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't put that on him at the end of a of a freshman season where he hasn't missed any time. But at yeah, the at right. the beginning of a of a freshman season where he is just now, I mean, the, the, we talked about the the tired legs for the guys that have been playing and practicing all year. I mean, Franz just got back into contact, you know, a few <laughs> week a few weeks ago. So I mean, look, man. I mean, and let's not forget that Jordan Noir is a pro. Tyrese Halliburton, who yeah, you know, Franz Franz played off him a little bit and got blown by, but it's tight. I mean, we're talking about two pros, and he yeah. he's in, in his first real experience getting on the floor against him. So. There, there are going to be some times where guys like that are, are going to have some success against you, especially in your freshman year. You know, watch, watch, some, watch an NBA player, a good NBA player, try to cover Jimmy Butler or James Harden one-on-one. You can't do it. And, and those guys are, are pros that are going to be excelling at the NBA level. And think about what the transition into game action has been like for Franz. You're in a ballroom in the Atlantis Hotel there's a funky blue light that shined on all of the people in the stands. It, it, it's like an alien type of environment. And then your next game, you're 18,000 at, at, at a crazy sold-out arena against the number one team in the country versus one of the, the very elite guards in the nation. Uh, you know, DeAndre Hunter plays at, uh, played at Virginia, and he's with the Atlanta Hawks now. He's the same player as Jordan Wara. You couldn't stop him at Virginia last year. They can't stop him in the NBA now. Franz Wagner will be fine. Be patient with him. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm right there with you. All right, we'll squeeze one more in uh, the mailbag this week, and it comes from Michigan 10 over on the MichiganInsider.com. It says, uh, Tim, the turnover. Seems like this team is a little more careless with the ball. Your thoughts on this? I agree completely. It's it's a good insight. That was John Beeline's point of contention from the first day he was at practice. He he built the program where turnovers were unacceptable, and he was one of the few coaches that could coach that. Um, I think Michigan needs to tighten up with the ball. They got better each game in the Atlantis with their ball security. I think they were 10 against Louisville, so that that's a sign of improvement. But let me throw out something related to those turnovers that I think is something Michigan needs to be very concerned about, and that's slow starts. Think about this. Iowa State, they were down 16-7. to North Carolina, they were down 13-4. to Gonzaga, down 7-2, to and against Louisville, down 18-5. to that is a dangerous trend. Slow starts can doom your season. And so, so that's one thing that, 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 that Michigan must do better. And a good idea to, to help get off to a quicker start is, I think, establishing John Teske and going to him three or four times before that first media timeout. Absolutely. Great stuff. And I don't even think that's just big man bias, Tim. I'm thinking. <laughs> you agree, too. Huh? I agree, because I agree. Uh, I absolutely think that's a big key for, for Michigan. Uh, and I thought it was it was one of the, the ways against Louisville that maybe that could have been uh, a closer game. But, you know, again, this is a team 
very young in his development uh, in this new offense. And so that, they, that they've done as well as they've done to this point, I think is ex- exceptional and really puts them in a much better position heading into the Big Ten play than I expected them to be. And that's a, it's going to be a good segue into our next podcast, Tim, where we start breaking down the Big Ten. And after that, talking about Michigan's next matchup uh, with the Illinois Fighting Illini. I'm excited, and, and I have to tell you, the um, the Ohio State-Michigan game on Saturday, it was so much fun to listen to all the fans and the buzz about this Juwan Howard-led Michigan team. I, I think that this is a group that, that, that the, the M fans are really going to jump behind. All right, great stuff, Tim. Until next time, folks, you've been listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast with Tim McCormick.